All right, up next on the local edition, we're looking at the fact that a small group of mutual aid workers assembled several dozen migrant men from a nearby shelter and brought them to Bushwick City Farm. This was just last month, mid-September. These volunteers started discussing with the men the idea of leaving New York. Given the city's chaotic conditions and limited space, a question then was where could they relocate? New York Focus interviewed uh, four of these migrants at the Stockton Street Respite Center located across from Bushwick City Farm. Sophie Sophie Hurwitz is now on the line with us to share her findings. Welcome to the program, Sophie. Thanks for having me. So can you talk to us about the the men that you spoke to and and what kind of conversations you've had? What, What have you learned about who they are and where they're coming from? Sure. Well, most of the folks I've spoken to have been younger men. Like, we're talking between the ages of 18 and 30. Some of these guys are honestly teenagers. Um, Most of the folks that I've been talking to have been from places like Mauritania, Senegal, or Venezuela, Um, though there are also people from other countries trying to navigate the asylum system in New York, too, of course. Some of them are older. Some come with their kids or come with families. But mostly I've been talking to these younger guys because primarily the folks I've been talking to have been people who've stayed at the Stockton Respite Center. So what you need to know about the respite centers is that those are different from the city humanitarian emergency response shelters. Those are the ones that are often in hotels that you might have heard more about. Um, The respite centers were initially supposed to be temporary. They were supposed to be places that people would really only be staying at for a week or two. But then, as we know, people have ended up staying at these places for months. And generally, the folks in the respite centers tend to be younger single men. So hence that demographic. Um, Often, they end up getting moved between these shelters, though they're given only a few hours notice of when they'll be moved, either to different respite centers, since there's a few in Brooklyn, or moved all the way across the city to places like the giant tent shelter on Randall's Island, or they're told to go reapply for shelter and kind of start the whole process again. So... The guys I've been talking to, they're not just doing this process for fun. They're, in general, like, fleeing various forms of persecution and violence back home. I've talked to a man who says he was tortured by police in Mauritania and therefore had to flee. Um, another man showed me a picture of um, some dead bodies from back home in Venezuela, people he knew who'd been killed violently as part of his story of why he came here. So people, while this migration system is absolutely a mess and people are suffering, I think it's important to front load that that's the reason that they're doing it. They are running away from something. And in general, I would really like to highlight that these are normal guys. I think there's been a lot of fear mongering around migrants in New York and the folks I've spoken to. They want to continue their studies or get a job in construction or get a job as a chef Um or send money back home if they can, and they're just sort of in limbo here. There's a lot of waiting. There's a lot of anxiety. That's sort of the picture of what we're looking at right now. And unfortunately, that that, that fear-mongering that's led to those opinions in New York, that's, uh, that's something that's been going on nationally and been going on for a lot longer than this crisis, which I think has kind of paved the way for the, Absolutely. let's say, the chilly reception these folks uh, received in, especially in the mm-hmm. upstate counties. Um, mm-hmm. What about uh, mutual aid groups? Uh, are they making any difference uh, for what these guys are going through? I would say they are making a difference. Um, 
So the respite center on Stockton Street, it's right across from this place called Bushwick City Farm, which has been sort of a longstanding community aid, mutual aid center. You know, it's an urban farm. They do food giveaways. Um, There's older women from the neighborhood who like that's the you know, that's their quote unquote front porch. That's where they sit and kind of monitor the goings on and gossip and stuff. And so when, you know, one day a couple months ago, this whole bus well, many buses full of new guys to the neighborhood show up. These are the people that really started rallying. So um, these reports came out pretty quickly that at the Stockton Respite Center, there were not toilets. Running water was not something that they reliably had access to in there. It's basically like a warehouse building with cots. Um, And so the mutual aid volunteers, they organized to get porta-potties and to get some grills in um, in the urban farm, so like in the middle of, you know, like the tomato patches by the chickens or whatever, there are these grills and groups of migrant guys will use the grills to make a really big chicken and rice dish or to make a bunch of arepas or whatever. Um, and so I think those things, just sort of these basic, here is a green space you can be in where you won't be policed. And here is a place where you can make food and start making connections to the local community. I think that has been really fundamental for a lot of these folks. Um and also in recent weeks, kind of more concrete stuff has started happening. Some some of the volunteers set up a DIY ESL class teaching folks how to say things in English like, you know, hello, my name is, here's where I'm from, here's how old I am. Um, and also like providing people with winter clothes. A lot of um, these guys come from really warm climates and have never been through a New York winter before. And oh, wow. so, you know, slides and flip flops and no big winter coat is not going to cut it, especially in these kinds of housing situations. And so I think that's been a really, really big thing, just trying to, you know, get everybody some coats. (laughs) Um, And so I think that has been huge. And mutual aid organizers just kind of trying to step up where there isn't really any clear directive from the city or the state um, to be like, okay, these are members of our community now. Um, That's been something that a lot of these guys have really been kind of depending on. Wow. And, you know, speaking of the the, the difficulty and the confusion, I mean, I imagine you've encountered some challenges and confusion just as uh, these migrants have uh, just trying to navigate the the system that they're kind of stuck in right now, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for one thing, there is the issue of language. So they speak many different languages, A lot of them speak um, Spanish or Arabic or French, but then there's also folks who speak Wolof or Pular, languages where they can't find translators nearly as readily. Even in New York City, you'd think you could find people that speak pretty much every language, but it's quite hard, especially folks who might be willing to, you know, help them figure out legal documents and stuff. Um, And so that's been a challenge both for them and in terms of reporting. It's like, okay, how do I figure out ways to communicate? A lot of it has been heavy reliance on the Google Translate app um, has, is how a lot of these guys are, are navigating things like legal questions, um, which is definitely something, is not super adequate because the Google Translate app has its limitations. Um, but so there's something like that. And then also there's just kind of, I guess there's the example of navigating work in the city that I'd like to talk about, if that's okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. So... 
in order to get an IDNYC municipal ID card, you need a formal address, right? And places like the Stockton Respite Center, they don't legally count as a residential address. And so some of the men living there, they tried to get IDs, but wrote down the address of the Stockton Respite Center as their address. And then those applications got rejected on the grounds that that was not a residence. And so then if you can't get ID, you can't exactly get a work permit. And so a lot of people end up resorting to forms of under-the-table work. Um, Some of them get their hands on mopeds that they can work as delivery drivers. But then without an ID, of course, you can't get a license either. And so there have been, over the summer, a few different, like, mass seizures of mopeds across the city. Um, So then if you're a delivery driver, your moped gets seized by the cops, then you can't work anymore and you're back to square one. Wait, is, so does, is that connected to uh, the migrant situation in New York City, or is that just ancillary? The moped seizures, yeah. I would say some of them are connected because some of the moped seizures have been at the migrant shelters um, and have definitely impacted the migrants' ability to work, many of them. Wow. That's that sounds like a whole other story right there. But it and here it is just a, one more example of the, the mm-hmm. challenges and the hurdles that they're encountering in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how else have city policies, including, you know, recent changes announced by Mayor Adams, impacted the situation there, especially the living conditions and the prospects for these asylum seekers in the city? Well, I'd say broadly policies have been quite confusing. Um, Mayor Adams recently announced this 60-day shelter limit, has started imposing shelter limits even on families with kids. Um, And so that has been making a lot of folks anxious. Um, And some of them are unclear on, for example, when their specific 60-minute timer starts ticking. You know, does it start the second they got into the U.S. or does it start when they got to New York or when they got to their current shelter? Because these would all be different timelines. Um, And so there's that. There's the kind of moving around of people that I alluded to earlier, which um, the folks who I spoke to who had recently been moved from the Stockton shelter to Randall's Island, they were informed of this via flyers that were put on their beds. And then the next morning they were put on a bus all the way across the city. Um, And so that can be really destabilizing. And I do get it on a certain level in that at Randall's Island, I'm told there is better food, there's better resources for these people. Um, there might even, some some of the guys I've spoken to staying there have said that there are people there that can help them with their paperwork. I can't personally verify that because they're not letting any journalists into the shelter itself. You have to be a resident or somebody who works there to go in. So that's a disclaimer. Um, but yeah, so those policies have definitely been just really destabilizing people. I know the mayor's also kind of gestured towards suspending New York's right to shelter law. Massachusetts, I believe, is also restricting theirs. And so that could is not going to mean good things about pe- how much housing people are able to get as we go into the winter. Oh, um, my goodness. So, yeah, I'd say overall the prospects for asylum seekers in New York City on a policy level do not look like they're improving. Yeah. And like you said, winter's coming. The whole time you were describing all that, all I can think is like winter is coming and winter is hard yeah. in New York and New York City. Sophie, we're going to have to go in, in just half a minute. Um, is there any is there enough time there for you just to to share any final thoughts that you have with us? I guess 
in general, there was this moment that really struck me that you mentioned earlier, where even the, you know, the people who have been dedicating hours and hours of their lives to trying to help these guys build a life in New York were like, honestly, maybe it's better if you leave, try going to Jersey, try going to Philly. That was really striking because what does it mean when even those who are the most dedicated to helping um, these asylum seekers find a home here realize that it might not even make sense to try that as compared to other places. Um, so that's something that I'd like to leave you with. And also that many of the guys I spoke to still really want to stay. And there's this one woman I talked to from Venezuela. She came here with her eight-year-old daughter. Her eight-year-old celebrated her birthday in the jungle on the way here, um, she told me. Um, and she, she was like, yeah, you know, I want to stay here forever. The people here are good to me. So there is still some of that. It's not like everybody's just saying, well, you know, Mayor Adams doesn't want us here. May as well hit the road. Right. It's not that simple. Well, Sophie, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us tonight. We've been talking to Sophie Hurwitz. The article is Amid Autumn Upheaval. New York City migrants wonder where they'll go next. It's at nysfocus.com. You can find the article at our website, wjffradio.org. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you so much.